Hello, hello. Today's episode is one I recorded with regular Big Feels Club guest Gareth Edwards as part of a little side project we've been working on called Big Feels at Work. Big Feels at Work is an audio resource for mental health professionals with big feelings of their own. We made this series because we realized a while back that quite a few people on our Big Feels mailing list are working in mental health themselves as well as dealing with their own big stuff. And that's not something we often hear about, which means there's not a lot out there to help them navigate the trickiness of walking in those two worlds at once. I'm posting this particular episode here because I think it's relevant no matter what sort of work you do. This episode is all about the dreaded P word, productivity, and how the idea of being productive has become even more of a dreaded concept in this time of lockdowns and general collective uncertainty. If you like what you hear and you happen to work in mental health yourself or general health or addictions or really any of the helping fields, you might want to check out the rest of the Big Fields at Work series. You can do that at the link in the show notes for this episode. Okay, on with today's episode. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Big Fields at Work. Today we are going to talk about the dreaded P word, productivity. (sighs) You winced when I suggested we record this, Gareth. <laughs> well, I suppose it's um, it could be quite a heavy topic. It could be quite a heavy topic, I think. Yeah. So, to give a bit of more context, we heard a bit on this topic in episode six of Big Feels at Work. That was the one I did talking and responding to a few things that listeners had sent in. The context was, how is working right now harder than it used to be in the context of the lockdown and the pandemic and all the rest of it? A strong issue for a number of you was, it's hard to feel you're being productive. Mm. And on top of that, I also recently uh, did a Big Feels Club newsletter on this very topic and got a whole lot of responses to that, suggesting that Many people are feeling this way, whether it's because you literally don't have the amount of work you used to have. So for some of us, you know, losing contracts and losing work, or you are supposed to be doing the same amount or even more than you, you're used to, but you're working in a different work setting. You're working from home. Mm. You're working in a historical moment where it feels like the whole world's on fire. You're working at a time where even managing your own brain can feel like its own full-time job. So all of which is to say, productivity, bit of a complicated idea at the best of times for many of us, and right now is a really big one. The the kind of starting point for me is I think many of us in our modern world, but particularly those of us who tend to get a bit hung up in our own brains, I think being productive is one of the main shortcuts we have to feeling like a worthy human. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so when many forces are conspiring to make it harder to be productive, 
it essentially means it's harder to feel like a worthy human. Yeah, yeah, I see where you're going, for sure. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How can we be productive in the next 10, 20 minutes that we've got together to nail the issue of productivity? Um, (laughs) It's kind of curious because I think, you know, I think a lot of what we do in our work is more of an art than a science. Interesting. So if you're an artist of any description, you know, painter, dancer, musician, poet, uh, storyteller, Hmm. you know full well that productivity really is about flow. Yeah. You can't force a song. You can force the production of the song once you've got the song, but you can't force the song itself. And I think a lot of what we do in our work is more art than science. So what we're really looking for is flow when what we're asked to do is be productive, produce. So tell me about that. I'm I'm curious about that. So if I'm at home listening and I'm a nurse or I'm a psychologist or I'm a social worker, how, in what ways is that more art than science for you? Well, I mean, most of us want to have experiences where yeah, so if we're trying to get somewhere with somebody else, A, that in itself is a little bit flawed. It doesn't really fit what we're doing. But if that's our goal is to progress somebody towards well-being or whatever nauseating word we're using as the end goal <laughs> of our interaction, we'll all have these experiences where we'll be with a person doing the work, you know? So it might be delivering some CBT thinking or doing some reflective listening or whatever else. And it's hard and it doesn't feel like it's getting anywhere. We don't feel like we're being productive. And then you walk that person to reception and in 30 seconds, everything changes, you know? Other examples, like when you take someone for an appointment, you know, I've worked in in homelessness services. You put them in the car, you take the pressure off the interpersonal interaction and all of a sudden gold happens, the three minutes between the court and back to the homeless centre. That's flow. That's That's where the gold is. That's where anything even remotely close to the word progress can happen. Yeah. And that's what we're after. Yeah. Yeah. It's reminding me, you and I had a chat the other day where I think we spent an hour talking about various things that were supposed to be the important topic of our conversation. And then by the end, all of a sudden we're having this much more connected, useful conversation for both of us about life. (laughs) It just kind of happened. Definitely. Yeah. I think that that's a, possibly a good slogan for mental health work or health work in general it just kind of happened yes what was the outcome well it just kind of happened yeah <laughs> in fact something that you said to me years ago when i was trying to really grapple with my own artistic expression as a musician and you gave me this model i'm sure you got it from somewhere else because i'm sure you referenced it but you know when you're doing that sort of thing you go at it like you're building a house with a blueprint but really what you're doing is growing a garden. So you, you plant seeds and you nourish those seeds and you hope as if by magic, and it does feel magical, eh? like something grows. And, you know, if you've grown a tomato plant or even just a flower, like when it blossoms or fruits, you're like, oh, well, that's pretty astonishing. And all I did was water it and look after it, you know? <laughs> and I think that's a really good metaphor for the work we do. We are growing gardens. We're not building houses. Wow. Hey, can you just hold on a second? I just started a phone call in the next room. I'll go see how long yeah, it'll sure. be because it's distracting. But this is, I really want to yeah, go yeah. here. I'll stay with that cool. one. <laughs> All 
we just had to pause recording there for a second because uh, working from home, my partner's in the next room also working from home, suddenly had to take a phone call. This is part of the picture of how it's harder to work right now. So we had to sort of negotiate that. Anyway. Um, so you say you say you tag team at productivity. Are you only one of you can be productive at any one time? Oh, yeah. And we don't even have kids. So, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so you were saying it's sort of more about preparing the conditions to be useful when it happens rather than, uh, you know, a, a linear progress of constructing. Yeah, and I, and I would guess most of the people listening to this will know this. They will know that this is not, you know, a manufacturing plant where A plus B plus C equals D. Hmm. But we forget it, and we forget that what we're really looking for is, you know... Because, again, I mean, we spoke in an earlier episode, like this, this, this loathing that I've got for where people say, oh, I saved your life. You didn't. I saved my life. You were there. And yeah. we have similar things. It's like you didn't recover me. I recovered me. You were there while it was happening. Hmm. So if I'm leading it, you can't sort of productively put your influence on that. You have to wait for your moment, and then I will have a sort of rush of epiphany. I will go away from a session and go, wow, that thing they said about deep breathing or challenging negative beliefs or whatever, that was profound for me. So, it's it, you know, you, you're looking for those seeds and then you nourish them. You're not, you're not yeah, it's not the same. I think as, that, you know. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think it actually applies to lots of different modes of work as well. So, you know, some listeners will be doing less face-to-face stuff and more you know, desk work, um, I think about what I do at the moment, which is a weird kind of a mix. So sometimes when people ask me what I do for work, I say I write a newsletter about feelings. And it's a genuine answer. It's one of the main things I do. And so I write the Big Feels Club newsletter. comes out every fortnight. Dose of feelings to your inbox. There are times where that really flows. And there are times where that two-week deadline is a pain in my ass. And I'm up the night before... And I'm still agonizing and, and working on, you know, dotting the T's, crossing the I's and really kind of really feels like a, a, a labor rather than a joy. And sometimes those issues are the ones that people come back to and go, this is exactly what I needed to hear right now. Mm. And what I've realized is that I just have no way of knowing. <laughs> there are times when the work is really hard. Yeah. and still useful. There are times when the work just flows and is still useful. There are times when the work just flows and didn't help anyone. <laughs> it's a real <laughs> mixed bag. Yeah. Part, part of the what makes that a challenge is that, you know, at the best of times, as I say, feeling useful is such a key human need particularly when, like us, you're someone who struggles to feel useful. Oh, sure. So I think that's, that's, the, that's the flip side of this coin, that perhaps people, I was going to say people with less feelings, but I'm not sure if, if that's quite what I mean. But for pe- people who maybe wear their feelings a little more lightly, perhaps don't no, have means. that. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, chronically normals, as I've heard them refer to. Um <laughs> What Sarah Wilson calls life naturals. Life naturals. Whoever they are. Ooh, that makes me feel all unnatural in a very positive way. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess what springs to mind when we go to that place is that sort of externalizing of our validation. Yeah. You know, if we're taught not to trust ourselves for whatever reason, then we're always seeking somebody else to basically go, good boy, Gareth. You're a good boy, you know? And, That'll do, pig. Hey? That'll do, pig. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, how you tackle that, that is quite a biggie because you really look at the self-validation. I have some thoughts on it from this recent newsletter, and I'm, I'll link to that in the, um, in the SoundCloud page for this recording. I guess... To me, part of the clue lies in what you just said around, you know, external validation. The question is, how can you, first of all, know that there'll always be that, right? Mm. Like, I think sometimes we have this idea that if I just, if I get enough personal growth, I won't need external validation. Look, I haven't got there yet. Maybe you will. So it's kind of partly just knowing that that's there and that that kind of yearning for external validation is always going to be there, perhaps. But for me, it's also looking at the ways to supplement that with my own internal reflection. And so I kind of got two thoughts here. One is the fact is sometimes the answer is to work harder, right? So like it's classic, it's almost a cliche that, you know, feeling like shit, I'll just work my way out of it. Mm. I'll throw myself into work. That's a pretty common thing. And we Mm. often think of that as a coping strategy, and maybe it is half the time. But there is also a sense in which looking for meaning and purpose in work makes a lot of sense. But the the question is, how do you make it kind of a, a gentler, more internal, reflective thing rather than, as you say, this kind of harried, pressured drive for an external validation that, let's face it, will never be enough. And so... I think about it as recently I said yes to some extra work that, you know, I definitely didn't need to say yes to. I'm not getting paid anymore to do it and I'm not convinced that it's actually going to benefit anyone. But I said yes to it anyway and I said yes to it anyway specifically because I wanted something I could point to at the end of the couple of weeks that I've done it and go, look, I did that challenging thing. Yeah. So I wanted something yeah. kind of on my recent resume for my own internal yeah. <laughs> reflection to say, I pushed myself out of my comfort zone and I did that thing. Yeah. Whatever the outcome. But that's a little, that is more internal than I want to do something that others will pat me on the head for. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. And I've got a really <laughs> comical version of that. So my go-to, if I'm having a you know a crappy day or a crappy week or a crappy month, my go-to if I'm looking to you know feel legitimate as a human being is I go and clean the toilet. Nice. Because then I figure at least I've got a nice clean toilet at the end of that. Great. Which I particularly enjoy. But it's also there's just something that makes me go well. At least today I clean the toilet, so I must have some yeah. worth. There must be some reason we're going to sit on a clean throne, you know? Yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah. So on a shitty day, clean the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Slogan number two. Um, Literally number two. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. So the. That's part of it is sometimes the answer is to work mm. harder, but sometimes it doesn't help. So sometimes, A, 
it's just harder to get things done when you feel like shit. Mm. B, even when you do work harder and manage to get things done, sometimes that doesn't do much or anything to shift that deep down forever failure feeling that can just kind of hang over us like a cloud sometimes, sometimes for months at a time, right? So when that's the case, kind of like you're saying, find anything that's almost like unrelated to the things Mm. you think you're supposed to be doing. And another part of it for me is recently finding a way to, at a really practical level, be honest with myself about where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think about my daily planning. I've recently decided to start planning in the morning for the day I'm actually going to have, not the day I think I'm supposed to have. Mm-hmm. So I usually my daily planning is like, I'll write down seven things, I'll maybe get two of them done and then I'll feel like shit at the end of the day. Yeah. So what I'm trying to shift to is write down two things, <laughs> do the two things, feel good at the end of the day, even though I haven't actually done anything more. Yeah, and I think when you taught me this skill, and I think it is, it's, a, it's a practice, eh? it's, a, it's a daily thing you can do. The other part of that is you've got a huge exercise book where you've written down just about everything that you think should be done like it's it's like the ultimate task list so now you've parked that somewhere you can get on with going well today's tuesday and maybe today i'll get the shopping done and you know do a bit of admin or whatever it is but that's safe in the knowledge that you're not carrying this sort of life mission all the time in the back of your brain yes there's actually there's a guy i forget his name i think it's David Allen or something like that. He wrote this like iconic um, productivity system in the 80s Ooh. called Getting Things Done, which if you've ever tried to implement that, you've got to have a bloody productivity system to do enough work to get the productivity system done. Like it is so involved. <laughs> anyway. But when you, told, when you told me that, this was a couple of years ago, I'd say it was about three years ago maybe, I went and wrote all the things that I thought I wanted to do. Yes. And I put it on the whiteboard. You can see it just behind me. We're doing a, a video call here. Yeah. And all I do every year is just change the year on it. And in fact, this year I took the year <laughs> off because I realised that's life work. Yeah. You know? But I don't care. Well, I used to carry that. Like, today's to, today's the day to do all of those things, you know? Yes. Well, that's, that's exactly it. So what David, I think it's David Allen, forgive me. He's famous and rich. He doesn't care what I call him. He, <laughs> one of his famous phrases is, your brain is designed for having ideas, not holding them. Ah, nice. So you got to find somewhere to put it all. Yeah. And I, I call it my master list. It's in a notebook and it's bloody huge. And there's all sorts of things that I never look at again, but I've written them down somewhere. Yeah. And then the idea in the morning for me is, can I make myself what I call um, a brain-friendly to-do list? So this, this is a phrase that comes from a lady called Caroline Webb who wrote a book called How to Have a Good Day. And it's one of those productivity books that's pitched at the normies. Mm-hmm. So I find some parts of it useful and some parts of it infuriating. But I do like this idea of a brain-friendly to-do list. And for me, it's going to look different for each of us, right? Because we all have different approaches. But for me, that means a list that has one or two or three things on it. Now... The kicker is 
I'm always failing my own rule here. <laughs> like literally as I was writing this newsletter about how I try now to have a smaller to-do list, I'd, I had a to-do list with seven things on it and it was 3 p.m. and I was still stuck on number one, which was write that newsletter. So I have a fail-safe built in. The fail-safe is I'm allowed to take things off the list guilt-free at any point in the day. Nice. And the way I do that is square brackets. So if I do the thing on the list, I, I put a line through it, put a smiley face next to it, and put about a dozen ticks because it's a big deal to tick something off my to-do list. But if I decide I just am not going to get to that thing today and it's staring at me, making me feel guilty, I have another option, which is I can put square brackets around it. And that just means not today. Yeah. And the thing I realize, and this is in the news that this is my blinding insight that's maybe blindingly obvious, when I write my to-do list, it's in the morning, I've just had my coffee, and I'm at my most optimistic. So I think I can do seven things. When I do the things, particularly toward the end of the day, the coffee's long gone, I'm at my most pessimistic. And then when I actually look back on the list and say, decide what sort of a day I had, I'm at my lowest ebb. So there's a structural imbalance there. If the person writing your list is your most optimistic, energetic you, yeah. and the person reviewing whether or not it was a good day is your most low energy, pessimistic yeah. you, that's, that, is a, that is designed to make you feel like a failure at the end of every day. Yeah. So you've got to find some way to, to rebalance the scales. My way is I still write my list in the morning because I've tried writing it the night before, and frankly, the night before me doesn't want to do anything, especially write a fucking list. So that doesn't work. But I, so I still write my to-do list in the morning, but I'm much more mindful. I'm, I'm less trusting of all that optimism. <laughs> you are literally high um, when you write your list. I'm literally high. Coffee's a powerful drug. So I do try and be mindful of that. And then I also have that fail safe, like, as I say. So I, you know. Later in the day, I'm very much allowed to take things off that list and put them back on the, on the master list for whenever I do get to them. Nice. Nice. I think that's a, a beautiful... I really like the idea of not judging your day when you're down. Like, typically for me, it's sort of 3.15, that sort of hangry snack time. Yeah. And, you know, because it's towards the end of the, the working day, I'm like, oh, my God. I've got like about an hour and a half left and I've done fuck all. Oh, Jesus. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I probably just need to have a little snack and, you know, go to the bathroom and, you know, <laughs> I'm just in a sort of out of sorts mood anyway. But yeah. Yeah. So I'll be, I'll be watching out for that one. Yeah. It's a fascinating thing. I have found like I did yesterday. So after I wrote the newsletter, it was a nice reminder that I should do what I say, what I suggest other people do. And so yesterday's to-do list had just two things on it. Mm. I say just, you know, two things. And so then what it meant was I got those done and I was like, oh, I'll add another thing. And I got that done. I was like, oh, I'll add another thing. And so somehow the lower expectations ended up doing more. Yeah, and I think think it might be useful for people listening to also recognise that when you write a to-do list, you're not all task-focused. So your to-do list might include some personal things that you want to get done that might yep. even involve what we'd call self-care or nourishment. Dude, when I've been at my mm, sort of more low-energy kind of points, I'll literally put on my list, what, watch an NBA game yeah. or 
you know, read a book yeah. or have a shower. Like any of those counts as an item I can tick off. So that's why I think it might be useful because it sounds like, you know, people could be listening to this going, oh, well, I'll just nail my productivity. It's not. It's nailed, like, like you say, you design the day you're going to have. Like I can tell you now, yeah. there's, the football has just returned in the UK. Nice. And it's on my list to watch the football. Yeah. You know, that's an actual thing that I'm going to say that was a successful day because I managed to watch the football. You know, and I think that's, it's really important to build them in because most people's to-do list are like normally somebody else's task. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Mm. And the other layer here that we haven't named explicitly, but I think is kind of just hanging here is I, from all my interactions with, you know, other big fuels clubbers, other, other people, other sensitive cats in the world through my work and just life, some of them have got a lot of energy, but most of us, where for whatever reason maybe it's just you know we we spend a lot of mental energy on things or whatever it is but like we don't necessarily have the same capacity as that annoying friend you've got that does 10 million things in a day i'm not going to speak for everybody but it's just a common theme i've found for myself personally i think it has to do with literally just my level of sensitivity even in a physical sense, mm. like when I go out to the shops to go grocery shopping, that's a big thing for my day because literally sensorily it's overwhelming. So like, you know, there's lots of layers to this, but I do think that, let me say the obvious thing, we don't all, not all of us, our to-do lists aren't all going to look the same. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the, the size of those tasks. Yeah. You know, so before we, we started our recording, I stupidly went to three separate busy car parks. And I got to the first one, and on the third cycle round, I was close to panic attack because I was feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And yeah. and then I continued to go to car parks that were just the same. Now, I know that that just takes a toll on me, and the Gareth in his 20s would have probably pulled over on a side street, had a good sob, and gone, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why can't I even manage a sodding car park? The Gareth in his 40s goes, fucking hell, that was rough. Yes. <laughs> I'm out, yeah. you know, and, and just yeah. a lot more accepting of like, there's no right or wrong here. I'm just the kind of guy who finds busy car parks overwhelming. Yes. It doesn't make me a bad person. It doesn't make me ill. Yeah. It means I should probably avoid busy car parks. There you go. Or know when I go to them that it's a big deal. It's probably, yeah. you know, biggest item on my list for the day. Yeah, definitely. God, yeah. One of the things of lockdown has been, you know, being able to avoid some of those situations. Uh, legitimately. <laughs> legitimately, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. And it, it's kind of helped me just remember that for whatever reason, for me, some of that stuff is harder than it is for other people. Yeah, and there's no good or bad in that. I think we're, we're, we're in a yeah. world that rewards those who can work hard, long, be super productive and that's not our fault and exactly and it goes back to where you kind of began here which is part of what we're doing draws on those very same things that very same sensitivity mm. for me that makes certain things overwhelming and intense that makes for instance a half hour phone call on my to-do list like a major thing mm. To sweat over and recover from after 
um, all that same sensitivity is is part of how I'm able to be present in the times I need to be for the work I do. Yeah, for sure. Now that can sound a bit pat, but it sort of bears repeating because <laughs> because we we as you sort of alluded to in previous episodes, we do this work that I think of as essentially gooey. We do this gooey human work in the context of a system that is essentially prickly. And by system, I don't just mean health system. I mean the way we structure work mm. in our society and perhaps the way we need to. I'm not, it's not even a judgment here. It's just simply to say we're doing gooey work in a prickly setting. Yeah. And that's, that's hard. It's, yeah, and, it's, you know, I had an uncle, he was a Scottish uncle, so I'll attempt a very poor Scottish accent. <laughs> and whenever I'd visit him, he'd say, Gareth, Gareth, you work with your hands. Didn't he work with your arms? Work with your hands, lad. And what he meant is getting off his job because he works manual Wait, labor. so hold on. Let, let me just figure out what he even said. <laughs> so it was a good <laughs> Scottish accent there because that's how it sounded to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what you just said. He said, Gareth, you work with your hands. Don't work with your arms. Work with your hands. Ah, don't work with your arms, work with your yeah, hands. Yeah, so don't, don't do manual labour, do office work. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, he works a manual job. Now, people who work manual jobs come home from work and go, I am physically tired. I might mm. take a bath. Mm. People who work emotional jobs should be allowed to come home and go, I am emotionally tired. <laughs> I might take a bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like if you do a physical job, everyone accepts that it's going to be taxing on your physical body. If you do an emotional job, it's going to have some sort of impact on your emotional strength, fortitude, whatever else you want to call it. I hear that. And the layer I would add is when you are feeling particularly emotional, any job is an emotional job. And what I mean by that is any task on my list can have this whole other layer of feelings around it, like hanging out in a car park, like making a simple routine phone call. Yeah. They can just be layered in feelings and that's okay. It can feel like, uh, you can feel like you're the fuck up for finding it so hard today, but it's just how it is. Yeah. And I certainly had that chance in the car park today. Well, I had three chances in car parks today and I took <laughs> none of them. Very good. I said, the problem is the world with car parks, not Gareth, you can't cope with them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll finish on this, I think. Uh, and this also comes from um, that book I mentioned, the Caroline Webb book, How to Have a Good Day. There's a study in there. She talks about how if you're having a bad day, if you got out on bed on the wrong side, things genuinely are harder. Mm. So, for instance, they've done studies on, you know, if you're in a quote-unquote bad mood, if you're feeling a bit pessimistic about things and you look at a hill, it will look harder to climb mm. than if you're in a good mood. Now, her point there is, you know, let's how do we hack you so you're in a good mood all the time and all that kind of bullshit. My response is, what that means is, if this hill is harder to climb today, if it feels and looks harder to climb because of the mood I'm in, then it is harder to climb. Yeah. And that means if I climb it anyway, I climbed a fucking big hill. <laughs> and if I choose not to climb it, if I put it in square brackets and put it off till tomorrow, makes sense because it's a fucking big yeah. hill. Yeah. I'm thinking of something clever about mountains and molehills, but I haven't got there yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll add that to the to-do list. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough for that one. 
Thank you for joining us. Okay, cool.